0: Welcome to the Pete on software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software,
1: and the tech people that drive our industry. And now here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode seven of the Pete on software podcast. I'm recording this on Thursday, February 13th, 2014. I have an excellent interview for you today. Today I've got Paul Bergeron a software developer working in San Francisco for a company called Trigit. His bio from his blog is shaving yaks, building software, musing about the future, and trying to build something lasting, ever failing in the pursuit of pure Zen living, and writing short paragraphs that convey little information. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hi Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, and you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Pete. Oh, thanks. So, let me know, uh, how did you get started being a developer, and why did you choose to make this your career? Actually,
0: it starts back a long time ago. Um, My grade school had an Apple IIe with BASIC on it, and my best childhood friend, we played a bunch of games on it all the time, which were, like, well, Oregon Trail and Number Munchers. And since we got bored of the games we had, we were always coming up with new game ideas that were a lot more exciting in our heads anyway. We started poring over this BASIC manual that came with the system and figuring out how it worked. Our first program, all it did was check the key register and print the code for that key and loop forever. Since it actually took over the entire OS, you had to reboot the computer to get back to it. <laughs> but we kept it because it didn't have any sort of key table as far as what key came to what code in the manual. So we had to keep running it and writing down what codes match to what keys. And so we ended up building this uh, this game. Uh, we call it Robot Fighter. Uh, but it was basically it's like Street Fighter, but it had the sophistication of uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Very Ever nice. since my my dad saw that, uh he brought home a Tandy 1000 and I've been writing programs on that and everything else since.
1: Very nice. I like it. Uh so, you know, we're a long way now from the Apple 2 and the Tandy. Oh, yeah. Uh so, how did you how do you keep up? How did you move from BASIC and And checking key codes to working on the kind of stuff you're working on, Go Language and all that stuff.
0: Uh, I keep my finger on the pulse with Y Combinators Hacker News, Reddit, Datatown News, Twitter, and GetUp Trending these days. Uh, The real key for me is not to be dismissive of other people's work, even when it's not even in my field. Uh, When somebody's willing to devote months of time and effort into a piece of software and give it Mm -hmm. away for free, there's something beneficial to it, even if it's not relevant to what I'm working on at the time. So what I do is I try and learn what lessons I can from that project, that source, uh, that tool, and try to apply that later on, because there's a lot of painful lessons that you can learn out there the hard way, and I'd rather learn them uh, through somebody else's pain instead of my own.
1: <laughs> very cool. That's very cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good um, attitude to have. I like that. Uh, Thank you. I, I noticed when I looked over your site, that you have blog posts, and the ones on there, in order, it's Script, C Sharp, Ruby, Node. I mean, that's a it's quite a varied list. Have you done all these all professionally, or is it just intellectual curiosity? What, how did you, you know, get enough information to get in-depth on those and have those kind of blog posts?
0: Yeah, so first I actually want to preface my answer with this weird thing. Uh, ever since I've been getting paid to program, I always had this weird fear that at some point somebody would slap a label on me that, oh, I'm a language X developer, and mm-hmm. then I would somehow never be able to get another job in anything except that. And it's just this weird fear that I have that I'd be trapped forever in this one thing. And so what I try to do is expose myself to all these other things in my free time to learn their conventions and how to apply them and use them throughout my normal work. And this way, when I go out job hunting, when I have uh, to make that change, I have all these other experiences under my belt. And even during my normal cursor work, I have the ability to pull in these new ideas that aren't normally bred into these other languages that I end up working with professionally. So each one of those blog posts are actually in a technology that I wasn't working on at the time that I wrote it. Oh,
1: that's very cool. That's great. That's a that's a good attitude to have too. I like that. You're going through and and just trying to find out. There's a lot of people who you know give a little bit of lip service to that. To like, well, you know, when I I looked at Ruby, so now I'm going to learn how to bring some dynamic fe- you know features into C sharp, or you know, I'm I'm doing Node, and I'm going to try to write Node like a Node programmer, and then when I come back, maybe make my my Ruby, you know, behave more, you know, an event way or something. You know, it sounds like you're, you're going wide and varied and um, hopefully you are bringing that back. So that's, that's very cool.
0: Yeah. So in the end, I feel that uh, I've, what I've learned is that I'm a firm believer in that every language can solve every problem. It's just that some languages are better suited for it. Mm-hmm. So if, when you look at the language and the language creator created it to solve a problem that they had, and it got popular because everyone else had the same problem. So each of these languages have their own personality, and that's kind of been bred into what makes them what they are. Node.js is really about asynchronous communication. It's not really about JavaScript, in my opinion. It's about building programs that, from the ground up, communicate asynchronously, which a lot of programming languages don't have. And you can still do asynchronous uh, communication in all these other programming languages, just that Node is really good at it. And the same thing with Ruby is you have the more functional style of programming that doesn't exist in things like C but it's because that was a pain that Matt's had when he was working with Emacs, is he really liked the way it solved his pain uh, with using Lisp and having that functional style.
1: So you'd definitely say you're not the kind of guy to get into some kind of religious argument, language wars, stuff like that. No,
0: definitely not. I'm more the kind of guy to get into an argument that it's not the right tool for the particular task at hand, but it's yeah. still a good language.
1: Excellent. Uh, so what kind of things do you do during a typical day? Like, What's your work environment, You know the languages you work in professionally, and maybe a little bit about, uh, it looks like you work for a company called Trigit, is that right? Yeah. Maybe what they do and, and what you do for them. Sure. So
0: Trigit is a, a real-time retargeting platform. It's basically an advanced form of marketing that matches users to products that they view, and it does this only moments after they've viewed it. So they view this product online, they see it, they maybe interact with it by putting it in, in a shopping cart, and then it takes this this data, this product user record, and uses this to buy advertisements for on sites like Google and Facebook, so that the advertisements then are relevant, and they're relevant recently. It's something that you've just interacted
1: with. Yep, I've, I've actually, i definitely seen that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's becoming more and more popular now. Uh, but Trigit primarily focuses on the FBX exchange. And so we get tons of traffic. Uh, a lot of these services will have 100k messages a second at a minimum requirements, and they'll be across multiple data centers since we have to host uh, for the world. So we have four data centers going on across the world to be able to handle all this traffic. And designing distributed systems around that gets to be a a pretty challenging thing. So we don't, of course, use one tool for the job. Um, On any given day, I might be writing Clojure, Java, Go, or Ruby to tie it all together. Depends on the task.
1: Okay, cool. When I was checking out Twitter just the other day, someone had tweeted a link to a little program you wrote called TextQL, and I saw it, and I went and clicked the link, and then uh, right there on your GitHub page, you have a little animated GIF that kind of explains how it works, and I'm watching it go, and I'm going, okay, okay, holy crap, and then I just, I reached out to you, and you were kind enough to come on here, I think, I think it's pretty cool, so... My uh, main question is, tell everybody exactly what it is, you know, coming right uh, from the horse's mouth. And how did you get the idea to make it? What kind of problem, you know, were you having a problem that caused you to, to create that? Or is it just, you know, like, I, I think I could do this, and so I will?
0: Yeah, actually, like, a, like most software, it comes from a, a little bit of a pain source. But let me give the abstract first of what TextQL really is to me. Uh, it takes SQL statements, and it takes an import, import data source, a CSV or a TSV, and it outputs the result of the SQL statement as if you ran it on a table containing the data in that file. So interestingly enough, it was actually most of it was written on a plane, (laughs) but I got the idea because months before I had pulled these CSV files from our data center at uh, Trigget, and I ended up using uh, grep and awk to check the contents of them to verify what they were, that they had pulled correctly, and the whole time I was going, I just really want to run a SQL statement or three <laughs> on these files and yeah. get the answer. I couldn't at all because there's nothing like that except to actually load it into Postgres or MySQL or a real database. And it, that would assume that the file's correct to begin with. You have to know the schema. You have to know that all the data is right and all the rows are correctly placed. Mm-hmm. And you can't load it into Excel because the minimum size of these files is 100 megs. At, and then they only got bigger from there. So Excel, Google Docs, it'd be impossible. So I did the task, and it, it kind of bothered me that I couldn't find a better way to do it. I like Unix tools, don't get me wrong. They're amazing, and they're incredible at what they do. But doing more complicated analysis of them can be really painful. And you end up writing these complicated, you can only read it once, ox scripts instead. Yeah. So I I forgot about the pain, and I was actually on vacation. And uh, this is the plain part. So I got on this plane and I thought to myself, you know what, I I can do this. I can write a program that solves this problem. And I had this idea that I could do it using SQLite. And so I downloaded all this offline documentation and I I get on the plane and and I started writing it because I had about six waking hours uh, before I landed back in SFO. And I just hacked out about 90% of the program and I waited a bit after a while to, to release it because it, the code was under mess, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one feature that didn't really work right was the ability to drop into the SQLite console at the end, yeah. uh, which I thought was pretty cool because you don't want to reload this data if it's pretty big over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was uh, something worth waiting for. So then after I, I landed, and a couple of weekends later, I cleaned it up and uh, put
1: it out on GitHub. Okay, so it looks like looking at it, it's written in the Go language, is that correct? Yes. So why did you pick Go uh, as the language to build this in?
0: So I know from past experiences that Go's encoding CSV library that just comes batteries included in it is amazing. Handles quotes, large files, flexible, does per row limiting. It lets you skip over bad rows. It's got a lot of power in it. A lot of languages don't have that even basic uh, CSV parsing that works really well. And you look at things like Postgres or MySQL when you do their import statements uh they just bail on bad output. They don't even they may even ignore it, but they won't they'll just stop processing. It's never a good way to actually work with it. So I wanted to use Go's encoding CSV library for that reason. Also combined with the fact that it had the easy go get away from a binary install and it's there. Uh, you don't have to worry about doing C dependencies. It's for cross-platform. It works really well for that. Uh, all of that kind of combined to make Go the right
1: choice for this. All right. Really cool. So what kind of challenges did you have while building it? Obviously, you were on a plane, right? So you had the, yep. like you said, you had some SQLite documentation. Um, you couldn't, most likely, maybe you had internet. You couldn't, I don't know if you could, if you could Google some of the Go documentation. Like, uh, Did you run into any challenges there? or Was there particular technical challenges that were hard to get around?
0: Yeah, so actually did not have internet. Uh, Wi-Fi was not available on that flight. So I had only offline documentation. And in the end, the reason that I chose Go was also its biggest challenge. So Go is a very strongly typed language. Uh, you have to know what type of variable is going to have before you even begin to work with it. And you can have some inference from return values, but that's it. It's very strongly typed, unlike, say, Ruby, uh, which pretty much lets you duct type everything. Mm-hmm. So when doing that, what I found out is that you have to know the return values of your select statements for Go SQL. And not only the return values, but the, their types coming back. So if it's going to be an integer, you have to know it's an integer versus a string. And this became very difficult for me because I don't know what textQL is going to be running at runtime. It should be able to handle any SQL that I throw at it. Yeah. So I'm trying to get through this and figure out what I can do to go for it. And I found out from this tiny SQL tutorial that I had uh, brought with me offline documentation of it uh, in this little footnote, basically, that you can pull out any values, arbitrary values, into a byte array. And from there, using uh, the Go SQL documentation, I was able to, to get it working and finally got the last component of TextQL working, which is the output. So everything worked after that. But if it wasn't for that tiny little footnote of, by the way, you can pull it into a byte array, and then I realized that I don't actually need to know what type comes out. It just needs to be able to write it correctly. Mm-hmm. Then I could pull it out into the byte array, convert that into a string, and push it out through standard out. All
1: right. So there's there's so much. I mean, you know what you're describing now. It sounds you know complicated. It sounds like there's a lot there. In addition to being able to read this in, write it out. You got a console. All this code. I looked in your repo, and as of the time I contacted you, main.go was 351 lines, and that included whitespace, space, in which you know your code was very nicely formatted. It wasn't 351 lines of code golf. Like it was <laughs> it was a good code file. And so how in the world is it so terse? Is it because, is that the power of Go? Is that the libraries you were able to use? Is it your superhuman coding ability? Like, uh, you know, why is it only 351 lines and be able to give us so much feature?
0: In my opinion, Go is actually uh, just as verbose as C, if a little bit more terse, but mostly like C. And C can get pretty verbose. I mean, it's compared to Java, it's more succinct. But something like Ruby is incredibly succinct compared to C, uh, given what one line can do. However, the terseness of TextQL is more to blame by the fact that it's a very thin wrapper over SQLite. Uh, its main role is to play adapter between it and then just autopilot from there on controlling SQLite with the query supplied. This gives it this very light code base and the reliance on SQLite being such a good product, it's awesome. And, uh, Matt N on GitHub is the guy who made this library that uh, binds go to SQLite and his work is incredible. I've uh, used some of his open source projects before. It's really good stuff. And not only that, even though it's so terse, still, after it got popular, 20 plus issues on GitHub that just came up out of nowhere. And because of its popularity, tons of data came at it that I couldn't, and obviously didn't, imagine. Mm -hmm. So there's no way you can know what kind of data is gonna get thrown at your program and what you'll have to fix. So what I've learned is that you need to write very little code because then you will be able to fix it, read it, and find it easy to understand
1: yeah I agree that's a good point. so where are you looking to take textQL you mentioned it's on GitHub you got 20 people throwing issues at you right away you know what what are some of the issues you're looking to tackle next and are you taking pull requests against the repo if someone finds an issue can they try to fix it themselves and send you something or are you looking to uh, keep it under your own you know guidance benevolent dictatorship maybe for now?
0: No, I wrote this for the community. Uh, it It's going out there, Pete, for, for everyone to use and everyone to contribute to. Uh, I don't feel that it should be held back in any way. It's not. It, I'm going to guide it in a direction, mm-hmm. but if mm-hmm. people want to take it in a different way, then it's going to be their tool. Uh, it's made to help people and solve a problem. So I do accept pull requests. Uh, I do review them. I do try to, to clean them up and make sure it kind of goes in the direction I want to take it. Mm-hmm. But uh Any sort of pull request is absolutely accepted.
1: So what kind of things are you looking for next? What are your top issues that you've got to tackle and you might want help with?
0: Right. So I think that its popularity definitely proves that there is a gap in between places like Excel and Postgres or MySQL. Mm -hmm. Just These text files that are one-off that you need to work with and have to do some sort of analysis and forget. And I think TextQL can really provide a tool that gives you a quick way to do this without getting in your way. And so being able to target more of these kind of one-off files, be it in JSON or HTML, uh, and being able to put them in a tabular format that you can process with SQL, and then output into CSV, TSV, uh HTML, back to HTML tables or JSON to get it back into whatever you want to use it in, or even direct database adapters, filling that role where I've got a crappy CSV, which doesn't even line up, or this XML that is weirdly namespaced and I can't get anything to read it. Mm-hmm. Being able to import that and do a database where we can actually use it and do analysis on in the future or build a table out of it, filling that gap right there. That's where I want to take this program.
1: That sounds awesome. I can tell you right now, you know, you said you're looking for, you know, kind of a place between Excel and some, you know, full databases, whatever else. I can tell you right now, I can think of five instances in the last week where I would have loved to take a spreadsheet someone sent me to analyze or to do something else with and just right-click you know, or, or, you know, file, save as CSV, and then just use TextQL to, to do some work against it. Right, so exactly. I think it has a, a big place, and that sounds exciting for what you're talking about doing with it. Uh, that's really great.
0: Thank you, uh, yeah. I think that uh, by making that pain go away, it'll make all those little data analytics problems that we have on those one-off files mm-hmm. a lot easier to deal with, and then a lot of us to get to the real meat of the analysis, which is what is actually going on in this file? What does this really mean? instead of having to deal with all this nonsense of converting it around.
1: Uh, so besides you know, besides this and besides some data analysis and, and file stuff, what else do you think uh the kind of things that are interesting problems in technology space right now? Like what kind of things are you passionate about um, you know, outside of work, maybe outside of this project? What other kind of things really catching your attention right now?
0: So I actually have a pretty big passion for uh, network distributed systems mm-hmm. at scale. Uh, I love working at Trigit for that sort of thing. Uh, Being able to build systems that work together and and cooperate even under incredible amounts of stress of traffic uh, is is pretty awesome and it feels really rewarding to get something that works under those conditions. So I really like doing that. Uh, I really like seeing that advance because as we get to this new era where we have very cheap commoditized cloud computing that is highly accessible and across many different cores You have to be able to develop these systems that can run across all these different machines and harness their power. And as our needs become greater in what kind of computing power that we need, we'll have to be able to spread to this. So I would like to, uh, in the future, hopefully build more tooling and more uh, programs that can help those kind of distributed systems become reality.
1: Who do you think is doing the best job in, in the cloud space and distributed systems? You know, is it something that people still need to do in a custom way? You know, Do you lean towards uh, you know, Am- the way Amazon's doing things, the way Google's doing things, Azure, any of them? Or do you pick and choose? Are you just as non-religious about that as you are about the languages?
0: Non-religious, really. Uh, it's really about what you do with it once you have it at any rate. Uh, the tools and building blocks that Amazon gives are incredible with AWS. Uh, there's tons of options in there. But at the same time, you have to realize that you're limited to those options as well. Uh, software like Hoproxy or Nginx is going to be a, a part of any sort of web deployment uh, regardless. And you look at Amazon, you're, you're kind of like, where, where does this even fit in? So you have to kind of pick and choose what your battles are and how you're going to arrange your software for the problem at hand anyway.
1: Okay, so uh, let's focus back on you a little bit. Where can people find you on the internet? You got blogs, whatever else. How can people get a hold of you? You know, you have anything else you want to plug or promote? Uh, talk about things you just want to get out there.
0: Sure. So, uh, of course, I'm on Twitter at Dinedale, D I N E D L, And my blog, of course, is uh, Paul D. Bergeron. Uh, that's Paul D. as in dog, Bergeron, B-E-R-G-R-O-N.com. And I also have a, a Ruby gem out there called Rod, R-H-O-D. Uh, it's heavily inspired by Netflix open source project, Sterix. Uh, both of them provide a way to write and define predictable failure scenarios in your application. So when you're doing an external API call or something that's going to potentially just go down or respond really slow, or maybe it's rate-limited, and you don't want to have an exception that just comes out of nowhere in the middle of the night, for example, which is terrible and wakes you up, uh, use Rod or hysterics to kind of monitor that and also do automatic retries. It does back-offs to uh, not slam the host when it's down with new requests. It'll also do things like hot failover where I know this endpoint has a hot spare, so I can just switch over that when I get too many exceptions on it and helps keep things running smoothly.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's uh, I didn't know about that until you just mentioned it. And I just made a note on my on my show notes here to check it out. And I'll, cool, I'll yeah, definitely at the end do as well. that. That sounds great. Thank you. All right, well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Bye-bye. That's all for the interview. A very special thank you to Paul Bergeron for coming onto the show this week to talk a little bit about what he's been working on. I have two picks of the week this week. When I was pre-planning for week 7, I was going to make TextQL one of the picks, but I liked it so much that I just decided to make it the focus of the episode. I hope that you download it and check it out. My first real pick of the week this week is Lice Cap. That sounds utterly disgusting, but it's what Paul used to create the great animated GIF that he uses in his GitHub repo to demonstrate just how TextQL works. You can download the app, position what you want to record under its available window, and hit record and then just work. When you're done, you have an animated GIF. This would be great for tutorials showing steps how to reproduce a bug or just an easy way to make silly animated GIFs to make friends laugh. You can find it by Googling the name Licecap or by clicking the link in the show notes. My other pick of the week is an application called Hemingway. You can find it at Hemingwayapp.com. You just go to the site and then you put some of your writing in there. It will identify hard to read sections, adverb usage, phrases that are too complex, passive voice, grade level, etc. I'm going to put all of my blog posts through it from now on to try to work on having better writing skills. I'm also going to run any lengthy business email that I write past it to make sure that I'm using the proper voice, and then I create the best impression that I can. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can leave me feedback on Twitter, at Pete on my blog, pedonsoftware.com, or in the notes for the show, which you can most easily find by going to my blog and clicking the podcast tab. Until next time.